Betsy to come this morning with her flute and with, you didn't bring, was it Blackie? Oh, I, I left him out there. He's bad in church. Oh, he was bad in church. All right. Didn't bring Blackie in then. All right. Well, come on, Betsy. You come. She'll show whatever order you want to do this in. I'll leave it up to you. She's going to show your video first or you're going to talk first. Okay, just a little bit. Well, come on, Betsy. Okay. Um, well, like you said, my name is Betsy Resner, and the Lord's called me to the beautiful country of Canada to work up in Quebec with a pastor and his wife, um, assisting them through children's work and various ministries. And I am just so thrilled to get the privilege to do that. Um, if you had seen me when I was about 11 years old, you would have seen me coming into the church and you would have said, oh, no. Oh, no, <laughs> that girl again, um, because I wasn't exactly, um, I had a lot of rough edges. <laughs> um, I grew up in a Christian home. It was very traditional religion. It was nothing about a personal relationship with the Lord. And I was never a bad child or a wild child, but I also was kind of very hyper and the kind of junior higher that you it's just a junior hire. Um, and you say, bless her heart. I'm glad I'm not working with those kids right now. <laughs> and, um, but the Lord used people to work in my life. Um, when I, when my sister graduated from high school, we didn't have a church split, but we had a church leave. And it was just about like a church split. It wasn't as nasty as one, but we lost a lot of people. My Sunday school teacher, which had been very influential in my life, left. The song leader, um, it was me. And a bunch of elderly people on Wednesday nights, and that was it. And it was hard to be a youth group of one because cause people say, well, why have activities? It's just, it's just one person. You know, what, what are we going to do? But the Lord used that in my life to give me lots of one-on-one with my pastor, with his wife. Um, I was thrown into a lot of ministries that I didn't know what I was doing, but you know the Lord used it, and he called me to missions through it. And I'm so grateful for the people who took me under their wing, even though it was just me. And the Lord's called me to Canada, and no, there are no huts there. I hope we don't eat worms there, but um, it's a people, it's a place with people. And anywhere there's people, there's a need. So I'd like to go ahead and show you my DVD now. BIMI, we have a, uh, a missions camp that we run every year at BIMI. Um, students from college or in, and junior and seniors in high school and so on will come and they will take classes or courses or whatever you want to call them in various mission activities, uh, things that you might find on the mission field. And Betsy's been through, you've been through both classes. Did you go on a smart trip then? Okay, I thought you, she'd done the whole thing. There's Camp Bimmy 1, Camp Bimmy 2. And then you can also go on what we call a smart trip. And I don't know, what countries did you go to on that? Um, Philippines and China, and then Quebec and Manitoba. You've been there twice. Oh, man. So she's been around the world and settled on Quebec, Canada. And you don't have to be technically minded to be a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. But it helps, huh? Okay, there we go. Most French-speaking Canadians live in cities and towns that look like any other modern town. But, although the province of Quebec looks much like the rest of North America on the surface, underneath lies a unique, distinct culture. 
It is a European-influenced culture, a mindset that has been influenced over the years by Catholicism, modern philosophy, and European politics and morals. It is a land full of prosperity on the surface, but destitute of true knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is a land of religion, but a people without a relationship with the Lord. This land, Quebec, is a land in need. Quebec is a beautiful Canadian province just north of New York, Vermont, and New Hampshire. Average summer temperature is 67 degrees Fahrenheit, and the average winter temperature is 9 degrees Fahrenheit. Quebec has many parks and open spaces where fish and game abound. The province itself is about twice the size of Texas and home to over 7.6 million people. Quebec began as a French colony in the New World. Because of her French heritage, Quebec is European in culture and Catholic in religion. Although Quebec has only 1,722 cities and towns, it has 2,755 Catholic churches. The influence of Catholicism is also seen every day in the number of places named for saints. Each of these places represents a person who dedicated his life to some cause but died without knowing God personally. Today, many worship these saints and pray to them in an attempt to get God's blessing. But no dead saint can take a person's prayers to God. Because of this religious stronghold on Quebec, many Quebecers are leery of any church or group that is not Catholic. Often, it takes a long time to befriend people and help them see that you are not part of a cult. Because of this, the work of church planting in Quebec tends to be slow. Relationships must be cultivated over time before people are willing to listen to the message of salvation that you have and want to share. Yet the results are worth it. A soul saved from the dead religion to a living relationship with Jesus Christ is worth all the time and effort in the world. In Acts 26:18, God sent the Apostle Paul to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Quebec is a land in need of workers like Paul to help turn the people from their works-based religion to a living relationship with God. My name is Betsy Resner, and the Lord has called me to help meet the need for more workers in Quebec. When I was in the fifth grade, I asked the Lord to save me during a church service. I was later baptized and began to develop a personal relationship with the Lord. My pastor, his wife, and my Sunday school teachers challenged me to read my Bible, memorize verses, and serve the Lord through children's church and the van route. Later, during a missions trip to Mexico, I realized that the Lord wanted me to be a missionary. I then learned more about missions through Camp Bimmy in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and through my Bible college classes. During this time, the Lord showed me that he wanted me to help meet the need for workers in Quebec. After finishing school, I applied with Baptist International Missions Incorporated and was accepted as a missionary to Quebec. Hello, my name is Manuel Guzman, and I'm pastor of the Kings Mills Baptist Church in Kings Mills, Ohio. And it is with great joy and pleasure that I highly commend to you Betsy Resner, missionary to Canada. For the past 13 years, I've been Betsy's pastor and have had the privilege of watching Betsy grow and mature into the fine young lady she is. She has served the Lord faithfully in many different areas, and I hope you will prayerfully consider supporting her. Betsy would be a good investment for any local church looking to support a faithful, dedicated missionary.
plan to work with missionary pastor Jacques Brenda Moore and his family at Good Shepherd Baptist Church in Drummondville, Quebec. There, I will be able to use my 11 years of experience working with children. I plan to teach Sunday school and help organize teen rallies. Also, I will help provide special music in the services. Other service opportunities will eventually include translating materials into French and helping other churches in Quebec with their vacation Bible school programs. Another opportunity I look forward to having at Good Shepherd Baptist Church is the opportunity to teach in a language school. Having earned a master's degree in English education, I'm qualified to teach English as a second language. Offering English language classes through the church will provide many opportunities to meet people I would never otherwise meet, and the relationships produced through these classes will allow me to reach out to these people and share the gospel with them. Another opportunity for ministry involves skills I have acquired over the years. I've always liked crafty projects, and I have noticed that children love to learn how to do things from adults, such as icing a cake or drawing a plane. Unfortunately, many Quebec children spend their days in garderies or daycares where they do not get a chance to learn many skills. During the 2004-2005 school year, over 190,000 children in Quebec attended some form of daycare. These children need someone to love them and teach them about the Lord before they grow up and become convinced that life is not worth living. Quebec has the third highest suicide rate in the world. Therefore, many children and teens, without the hope that comes through knowing the Lord Jesus, will commit suicide. Many children avoid members of cults or anyone who is not associated with the common religion. So how can they be reached? The answer is classes. I plan to open my home and give lessons and skills I have learned over the years. Through offering lessons on how to bake cookies, grow food, or draw pictures, I hope to establish relationships with children and their parents. By using these classes to reach out to these children, I will have the opportunity to introduce them to the God who loves them so much. Quebec doesn't need another religion, but it does need dedicated Christians who will follow God's call at all costs. And Quebec needs people like you who will remember to pray for the people there. Will you pray for Quebec? Please pray that the Lord will send forth more laborers and pray for me as I follow Christ's call into this land in need. What a blessing it is that God can use any of us, <laughs> even people who can't run projectors. Um, <laughs> and I've even practiced before. Um, but just what a blessing to have grown up in a home that was traditionally religious. My dad is a very good man, according to the world standards, and I love him to death. I love my dad. He has been so supportive to me and so good and kind to me, but he's not saved. And it doesn't matter how good you are. And um, because he's grown up always going to church, um, we just went Sunday mornings to Sunday school and Sunday morning. We didn't have evening services, but um, I remember a Sunday, <laughs> literally, I got up, I told dad I don't feel well. He probably thought I was just being a kid trying to get out of something. So he said, well, you don't have a fever and you haven't thrown up, so you're going to church. And literally about five minutes before we ran out the door, I threw up. And he said, don't you feel better? We're going to church. <laughs> and um, looking back now, I realized I think my mom was on nursery duty and, and nobody could stay home. Like they both had responsibilities. But um, I just remember thinking, wow, church is that important 
important to my dad that unless you are dying or going to make everybody else infected with something, you go. And um, that's how I grew up. But I grew up also very confused because the Lord gave me a mom who is saved. I'm so grateful for that. She read the Bible to us every night until we were up in our teens before that stopped. And we, um, we had already by that time started doing devotions on our own, my sister and I. But um, she read the Bible to us and she put me in a good Christian school where I would hear the gospel. And I'm so grateful for that because that is the reason why I am saved today. The verses that I learned as a child, the Holy Spirit brought back to my memory when I needed them. And um, I got saved in church, but it wasn't at an altar call. Um, the Lord helped me take care of it in my seat. I can remember we were back Oregon side about halfway back and I remember our pew and um, that's where we would go and um, the Lord settled and I settled it there that day and I'm so grateful for whoever drilled those verses into my mind but um, growing up seeing two different versions of religion really confused me and for the longest time I had never followed the Lord in baptism didn't want to I'd seen it done two ways um, I think it's really funny my sister's the youth group that came to see my sister baptized at the church that had her Christian school because my mom had talked with her and explained, you know, this is why I believe this is the way, you know, baptism should be and why we didn't have you baptized as infants. So when she took confirmation class, she went to Grace Baptist and this big, huge group <laughs> of teenagers who obviously didn't belong in that church came tromping in and they all watched her get baptized and they all cleared, cheered and clapped afterwards. But, but the thing was, they didn't know why she was doing it different. And I didn't know either. And so um, I failed my confirmation class the first time around. <laughs> and I failed it the second time around because I would not get baptized. And finally they said, um, which is typical of this type of church, but they said, you know, she's from a good Christian home. She's grown up believing in God all of her life. She won't be a voting member of the church, but we'll just put her in the youth group. And when she's ready, she'll get it taken care of. No one bothered to ask me if I knew the Lord as my Savior. Um, that wasn't part of becoming a church member. Um, you just went to this confirmation class, you learned the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, and I don't know what else, and then you had to be baptized, but most of them were baptized as infants, and then you just went through this thing, you got a stole, you put these iron-ons on, and, and you just became a voting church member. That was it. And um, sometimes salvation was taught, but I think I saw it because I had been taught it at school. And so that was very confusing. And um, when the Lord moved us to the church, that's not my sending church. I remember after a few years thinking, Lord, I feel so gypped. I could have been learning all this as a kid. And I, I didn't. I'm, I'm playing catch up here and I'm hating it because these people know more than I know. How much farther along could I be if I had just had this good training? And instead, I have to sit here and wade through everything and try to figure it out. And um, I really got not, not bad, bitter, but a little bitter and angry with the Lord for allowing that because I wanted to grow up in that good home that was always, you know, serving the Lord. And I wanted people to ask me about my salvation. I wanted to be able to talk to my dad about his salvation. And he's just now opening up to talking about spiritual things, not salvation, because that's an insult to him because he thinks he's saved. And he doesn't understand that you can't just know about God. You have to personally put your faith and trust in him. So um, I had to work on that, and the Lord worked on my heart, and he finally helped me to give it over to him and say, Lord, I don't know why, 
but you put me in this home for a reason. And I love my home, but there were just some things that I didn't understand and I did not like. And um, I gave those to the Lord as a teenager. And then when um, he allowed me to go on the smart trip, and it was the second time round, and I had a really wacky reason for calling. Another long story, but it was a ridiculous reason to call and say, do you have any room on the team? Um, but I did, and they did have room, and I went, and I said, Lord, why am I here? I've already been on one of these training trips. I don't know why I'm here, but okay, I'll learn about missions. I knew that he had called me, and that's when we went to Quebec and Manitoba, and we were in a van, and there is a very, very... <laughs> very long road. There are many very long roads in Canada. Um, we had gone up to Chicoutimi, and Chicoutimi is the farthest north you can get and still find a store that we're used to, and um, it's at the top of, it's seven towns that are kind of merged, and then there's this huge park, and then once you get through the park, you get back to the bottom part of Quebec, and so we were driving through the park, and I started praying for the missionaries, and I said, Lord, I have never seen people so hard to the gospel, so closed to outsiders. And it's almost like we've said, you're too hard, so we're not going to bother with you. And I said, when really we should say, you're really hard, we need to put more workers here to get the job done. So I was praying for more workers, and the Lord just spoke to my heart in a still quiet voice and said, Betsy, I've created you to be one of them. And I just broke. And I said, can we go back? <laughs> you know, now we're leaving. I want to go back. This is my people. This is where my puzzle piece fits. It's what God created me to do, me to do. And all of a sudden, the Lord started bringing back memories and flooding my mind with all those things I had had to surrender as a teenager. And I said, thank you, Lord. They're traditional and they're not saved. They're religious, but they don't know you. And that's how I grew up. That is how I grew up, and I had to fight through that. I had to learn the difference between knowing God in my head and knowing him in my heart. And that's the people he's called me to. And I wouldn't trade that for the world, even though I didn't like it growing up. There are so many things that he put there on purpose. And how would I have missed out not been able to minister to the people of Quebec if I hadn't gone through that myself? So I'm so grateful he did. Um, and I am so grateful he's called me to Canada. If you could, even if you don't remember me, I mean, I'm just Betsy. If the Lord burns you to pray for me, please do. I need it, obviously. But um, <laughs> pray for me setting up projectors, among other things. But um, And working with children, that can be something that really you have to be careful about leading them to the Lord. But um, if you could just pray for Canada, I don't care if you remember me. It's not me. Well, I mean, I need the Lord, but it's the Canadians who need the Lord that have been overlooked. And the Quebecers, we've just blown them off because they blew us off. But I love the French Canadians, and they need the Lord, and they're a very special people. And the Lord loves them, even if they don't live in Africa. He still loves them, and he still died for them. And if you could just remember to pray for Canada. Um, I tell my friends, you know, every time you get a Canadian penny in your, in your change— and, you know, it feels different. And you look down and all of a sudden you realize, oh, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Not usually on our pennies here in the United States. And you look and you're like, oh, it's Canadian. You know, if you could stop and ask the Lord to use that to remind you to pray for those working in Canada and those Christians in Canada. It is a very different field. It is not at all like the United States. It's similar. It's not as different as Japan or China, but yet at the same time, it is different. It is harder to find a good church up there that actually teaches and preaches the gospel.
And maybe just every time you see a maple leaf, it could be on your syrup, it could be at the Olympics, it could be, you know, at the World Cup games, although I don't know who's playing in the World Cup, so I don't even know if Canada's there. But if you see them, if you just see that maple leaf, and if you could ask the Lord to use that to remind you to pray for Canada, that is a, it is a land in need of salvation, um, that would be the biggest gift you could give to me as a missionary to pray for my people. And I'd like to play a song for you on my flute. This is um, a favorite. It's out of a French hymnal. So um, I could sing it for you, but you wouldn't understand it, and you probably don't want to hear me sing anyways. But um, this song, it's an invitational song, and it talks about how, Lord, you did so much for me. Now I want to give myself back to you. If you died on the cross, how can I not, you know, serve you with my life? Thank you, Betsy. I can relate to those words. I don't know exactly what you were talking about there, the words in it. I mean, as you gave the rendition, but uh, that's exactly how I came to believe the gospel. Uh, a man was, an evangelist was giving uh, an invitation at the end of the message, and basically it was, you know, God gave his son for you, and he loved you, and, and now what are you, you, what are you going to do for him? And that was what I responded to. I realized, wow, God loved me and gave his son to die for me. And that just really hit home with me. So that's, uh, that's great. I, re I can relate to that. Now, where is your exact, where's your home? Sorry, it's Lebanon, Ohio. Lebanon, Ohio. And is that near Cincinnati? Which is, okay, explains Kings Mills a little better. Okay. I was that, that got my curiosity up there. Okay, and we will we will pray for for Betsy as she goes to goes to Quebec. Now, and you speak French yet? A little bit. So you'll be going language school too when you're up there. Okay. And the Brendamores that were in the picture, I I know Jacques and his wife Carol, and they're they're, they're French Canadian. They're wonderful people. And it'll be a great great place to minister. Okay, let's turn to Second uh, Peter. I'll <coughs> continue my study there. <clears throat> Anybody ever had a... What do you call them sandwiches from Australia? Is there a name for those? Sure. The Australian sandwich. We were talking about... Aussie roll. Ever had ever had a one of them Aussie roll? 
it's a it's a little different at Camp Bimmy. They they make them eat food from different all, all around the world and all these countries that they've gone to visit in years past. They've gathered these recipes and so they each meal they fix something from another country and the, the students that come to the camp they have to eat it and. Betsy and I were talking about the Aussie roll. We didn't like them the first time we ate them, but they one of them things that grow on you. But, excuse me. But in Australia, they put bologna or turkey or whatever they put on their sandwich, and then on that they add pickles and lettuce and well, I was saving that for last. Beets. They put beets on their sandwich. I didn't, that didn't hit me too well the first time I ate one of those, but that thing grows on you to the point where, you know, you get to liking those things. They were, they were pretty good. We, we threatened to turn Betsy in if she didn't eat hers the other day, so she did it. She ate it. Okay, Second Peter, and we're still in, at the very beginning here in chapter 1, and <coughs> we're going to begin with, Verse 5 today. Verse 5 is a continuation on of what Peter had set the stage for, laid the foundation for, beginning in verse, verse 5. And so he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these, these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we mentioned that Peter laid this foundation in verses 1 through 4 of the faith that these people that he was writing to possessed. In verse 1 he said he said to them that have obtained like precious faith with us faith of the same kind not of a different kind with us us who with us apostles the faith that they had obtained by hearing and listening to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he ministered to them, trained them throughout their three and a half year or so time spent with them while he was on this earth and while he was engaged in his public ministry. And so now we also saw in verse 3, he says in our King James, it says, according as some translations say, seeing that. In other words, he's laying the foundation for something here. And this statement that he makes in verses 3 and 4 sets the stage for what he's about to tell us in 
verse 5. And so this common faith, this like faith that they possess, having been born from above, having received the knowledge of the gospel as the Lord Jesus gave it, he tells them, beside this, or for this very reason, for this cause, add to your faith. And not only are you to add to your faith, but he says you're to give all diligence in doing it. Make haste. Don't waste time. Don't be idle about this thing. But to add to it. And we find down in verse 8, he says, if you do these things, if you add these things, if these things be in you, if these things here we're talking about be yours, then, he says, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or idle. Some translate that as useless or worthless. Just like a fruit tree that's unfruitful. That has no value if it doesn't bear any fruit. And so he's telling us here that a Christian, a believer who has faith, can be of no value or use. They can be unfruitful, unproducing. And the way in which we become fruitful, the way in which we abound and become useful or of worth is to add these things to our faith. Now, if you turn over to James chapter 2, and that's back to the left now. I have a habit of wanting to go to the right every time I want to go to James for some reason, but you go to the left. In James chapter 2, we have that infamous passage concerning faith and works, which is really not such a difficult passage at all because Peter agrees with what James is saying here. He tells us in verse 17... Look at verse James 2.17. He says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now, what you need to be careful to pay attention to there is he doesn't say you don't have any faith. But a lot of interpreters, and you can pick up many commentaries on the book of James and dealing with this passage and they will treat this and interpret this as if this means you aren't even saved. You're not a Christian if this be be the case. You don't even have any faith. And if you notice, that's not what James says at all. He says if you have faith that is alone without works. Now look at verse 20. He says, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. So, 
What is James's point? You can have a faith that is a dead faith. Not a vibrant, living, abiding faith. And if you'll look down at verse 26, he gives us a very practical illustration of that. He says, for as the body, and by the the little word as tells us, he's making a comparison here. For as the body without the spirit is dead. So you just imagine that all of us in here, we have our spirit within us because we're alive. If there were a dead person laying right here, On the platform, they would be without spirit. Their spirit would have departed from their body. But does that mean the body's gone? Not at all. You have a body that's still here. And so James says then, So, faith without works is dead also. And so, the dead body represents the dead faith. You have it, but there's nothing there. There's no life in it. There's no spirit. There's no animation to your faith. Well, that's all Peter's telling us over here in Second Peter about being barren, idle, unfruitful. Add to your faith, he says, these things. And so it becomes very important that we have a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a growing faith. Knowledge alone is not sufficient. And I'm afraid that sometimes that's one of our weaknesses as Christians. We tend to think, I understand. My eyes have been opened. I see the truths of Scripture. I understand about the Messiah. I understand about his anointing. I understand what it means for him to be the son of God. I fully comprehend the mystery of the kingdom. I know what this epi knowledge is all about. I understand about the coming kingdom of Christ when he comes to rule this earth. Great. But when we walk out of the doors of this church, do we evidence a living, abiding faith, a working faith, a faith that is evidenced by works. That's what James is talking about. That's what Peter is talking about. Well, what is it then that we are to add to our faith? How are we going to do this? What kinds of things should we be looking to to add to our faith? Well, he names them for this. And you might remember that last week in verse 4, when he says they're having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, we mentioned that little E-N word, in, which describes for us the idea of the sphere of operation in which we work or move or live, conduct ourselves. And it's interesting that in verses 5 and 6 and 7, that little word to is actually 
the word in. What value or importance is that to us then? Well, it tells us then that he's saying in this sphere of adding to your faith, in this realm here, this is what we're talking about. Add to your faith. Your faith. The faith that you have. He is talking to people who possess a real faith, a genuine faith. They believe. They know Christ. But you are to add to these things. And though he does not repeat it in the Greek text, The idea is there in each instance where these various things that we are to add to our faith is mentioned, and some even translate it this way. Add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to your knowledge, and so on. Temperance, patience, and so on. Now, what's the idea behind that? Well, he's simply saying that when you add to your faith virtue and you become a possessor, that becomes a part of your faith. You have added that on. Then add to your virtue the next thing on the list, which is knowledge. And then once you have obtained or gained this knowledge, then he says, add to your knowledge temperance, self-control. And so there is a specific growth pattern. Now, I don't know for certain that we could say that, well, it's not good or it's not right for you to obtain brotherly kindness before you obtain knowledge. I don't know that Peter's telling us that it has to be in this order. He's simply telling us that when you have gained a certain aspect here of fruitfulness, of growth in Christian maturity, then you add to that another quality, another characteristic, another item here of this list and and by the way I don't think the list is exclusive either because we could go to Paul and the book of Galatians and we could find other things that he mentions as being the fruit of the spirit love and joy and peace and so on there are some repeated things but there are other things so the list this list isn't exclusive or exhaustive in any sense of the word nor does it have to be in a certain order. Peter's point here is that when you have possession of certain qualities or characteristics, that's not the end of the road. That's not when we stop growing, but we continue on from that point, and we add to that, which is why I think it's legitimate and fair for us to say that we never can arrive. We never can say, I've got it all, and I don't really need to grow anymore. So it's a lifelong process. 
And it's something that we cannot give up. Something that we cannot sit back, as I've used in illustrations before, and relax and enjoy. Because, well, I'm a Christian. And I know. I've got it all here. There's more to this. And so, then you add to your knowledge temperance, which is self-control. And to self-control, and by the way, the self-control has to do with your bodily passions. Bringing them under control. Dealing with that issue. That's something that I'd have to say I fight with. Here's the evidence right here. Right there. Of course, it probably manifests itself in more areas than just that. But that's one you can see. And we add to that patience. Now, this patience has the idea of endurance. Patience that carries with it the idea of bearing up under something. In other words, when the problems of life come along and the issues we have to deal with are confronting us, then we just bear up under it and we deal with it. We ride it out, as it were. We don't just hope it'll go away. But when life's issues face us, we endure in our faith through those things. And when we do, we've added to our faith. We've grown in grace. We've become more mature. We've become stronger. And so having then obtained patience, he says, add to your patience, godliness. Now that word godliness is uh, <clears throat> an interesting word. It just simply in its basic term, I think you know, it means to worship well. I guess that would mean that we could do a poor job of worshiping, couldn't we? If we didn't worship well, if we could worship less than well, if we could fake it through, if we could play the game and make it look like we're really godly people, I suppose. But godliness carries the idea, the old English representation of that word was worth-ship. Worth-ship. In other words, something that has value or worth that I give my reverence to, respect, engage my trust in, because it has worth and value. And so godliness in the biblical... And by the way, that word was used of more than just God. is used of deities, pagan deities. But biblically, he's talking about God having an attitude that represents what we feel towards God, his worth and his value towards us. I know sometimes, and I, for the longest time, would confuse or at least couldn't make a real proper distinction in my own mind between godliness and holiness. What's the difference? They seem pretty much the same, you know, on the surface at least. But godliness has to do with how we look at God, how we view him 
and the worth and the value that he is to us. And that is something that we are to add to our faith. Now, you would think that would be a little strange, wouldn't you? For somebody who has heard the gospel, they believed God's message about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They received him as Savior. They obtained like precious faith with Peter and all the other apostles, and yet he's telling them, you need to go ahead and add this to your faith. Godliness. But it's something I think that we do need to work on. I think of myself, I know I need to work on that. I need to consider all that God has given us in his word and consider the value and worth of what he has given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Well, we've added to that godliness to brotherly kindness. This is our Philadelphia word, the city of brotherly love, brotherly love, brotherly kindness. And then to that, we add charity or agape love. So we have brotherly love, and then we have this charity kind of love, agape love. And it is charity in the sense that when we think of a or an organization, say, that's a charitable organization, and you give to that charity, you're doing it because you're not thinking of yourself, are you? You're doing it for others. And that's at the real basic root of the idea of charity. When you do something on behalf of others, not for any kind of personal gain, so this brotherly love, that's more of the idea of an affection love. We would say we have love for the brethren. Well, that's in a very general sense, a very general term. We do love the brethren. But then, to, you know, if you love the brethren, that doesn't mean that you agape the brethren. Because you could withhold. You could do as James says. You're hungry? Well, Lord bless you. He'll take care of you and then send them on their way. You know, that was James's point. That's what your dead faith is. If I don't do anything. It's the doing that enlivens our faith. So consequently, that's why... We have such a heavy emphasis in the New Testament on a Christian, a believer, doing good works. I don't know if you remember when we just look, took a, a quick survey like through uh, Titus. You can't believe how many times in that little epistle of Titus, that little letter that he mentions about us doing good works. And so adding these things to our faith... Peter says, is a very important thing. And the reason it's important is because he tells us down here in, in uh, verse 8, two reasons why. We won't be barren or idle, nor would we be unfruitful. That little word idle. Turn over to Matthew chapter 20. 
And we'll see a very practical use of this word, something we can really relate to. In verse 20, uh, excuse me, chapter 20 of Matthew, in verse 1, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder and went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. And over in verse 6, he says, About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? So here this... This husbandman went out looking for workers, laborers, and there they stood in the marketplace doing nothing, idle. Well, that's the same word here we have over in Second Peter, barren. If you add these things to your faith, he says, then you will be neither idle, as some do literally translate this, nor unfruitful in not the same word in that we found up in verse 5 but this is that word ice we mentioned this previously nor unfruitful he says in to the knowledge the full the epinosis knowledge the fully comprehended, mature knowledge concerning Jesus Christ. Now, just go back and consider what we said earlier, that to have the bare knowledge about Jesus Christ is one thing. But it's adding these virtues, these character qualities to our faith that brings us, he says, into, that's the little word ice there, in the knowledge, into the knowledge, the mature knowledge, the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the contrary, He that lacks these things, he says, is blind, and he cannot see afar off. Now, the word cannot see afar off um, is where we get, from the Greek word where we get myopia, nearsighted. Can't see far away. That's me. I can't can't really see things real far. I can't see up close. I'm the other way around. I, I can't see if I do this. I mean, that's just a big old blur right across there. I can't even read the titles up there. I got to have some pretty powerful, I got the almost the most powerful reading glasses you can buy. Being nearsighted, they only see what's up close. You cannot see afar off. You cannot gaze into those deeper things, those full knowledge things that he's speaking of. And so it's these things that inhibit us and prevent us from those intimate moments with Christ as we meditate in his word and worship him. It's these, those, you know, those precious times that you have when you're reading God's word and God just 
all of a sudden speaks to your heart and he shows you something you've never seen before. And he cannot see these things afar off, he says, and has forgotten that he was purged or cleansed, catharsis, from his old sins. Now that's putting it pretty blindly and bluntly. Blindly, that is, then you're pretty blind. When you get to the point as a Christian that you cannot even remember or see You've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. That's a person who's pretty much just taking his faith for granted. That's a person who pretty much just believes that having the body there without the spirit is an okay thing. That it's all going to work out all right, even though the body's dead. When Peter is telling us, that it is of the utmost necessity that for a body to be activated, you must have the spirit, James says. Peter says, you've got to add these things to your faith. You have to. Why do you have to? Because if you don't, then you won't get verse 11. And verse 11 says, if we do these things, he says, an entrance shall be ministered unto you or given unto you, carried to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that word entrance is just like you would expect it. It's like the door out there. It's an entrance. It's a way into something. And at the entrance into this kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is telling us that for us to have or to have any expectation of an abundant, joyous, welcoming entrance, then we're going to have to have these things. Now, you may have an entrance in, but what kind of an entrance will it be? Some translate this a rich welcome. I think that's the New American. I'm not sure. You will receive a rich welcome into the everlasting kingdom or the age-abiding kingdom, this kingdom age, the messianic age, the millennial kingdom is what he's talking about. You would receive a rich welcome. Well, the clear implication is you could receive something less than a rich welcome. Now, you might be one of those who says, well, if that's the case, I'm going to be happy to be there. Just so I make it. But I don't know that that's going to be the case. You know, when when the Lord said, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, it would be pretty difficult in my mind to think that you're entering into the joy of the Lord when you just coasted through life with nothing but faith and no works to add to it. 
Wouldn't that pretty, be pretty disappointing? Now then, the clear picture I get from the scriptures here is that we have to add to our faith. We cannot coast along through life. We cannot be static in our faith. Our faith must become dynamic. It must be an active faith. Now, he tells us in verse 10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, rather than being short-sighted, rather than being blind to these things, he says, give diligence. Same thing again. Make haste to make your calling and election sure. Make it firm. Make it steadfast. Strengthen it. Confirm it. Establish your faith as unshakable by adding these things to it. That's what's bound up in this word, sure. A steadfast faith. Make your calling and election sure. We have a calling. We have been chosen. Now we're to fulfill and carry to completion the faith we've exercised by adding these things to it. And he says there at the end of verse 10, if you do these things that we've been talking about, he says, you shall never fall. You'll never stumble. You'll never fail. You'll never err. Look back again at James, chapter 2, and verse 10. And then if you want to stick your finger over in Jude, we'll go over there in a minute. In James, chapter 2, and verse 10, he says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law... And yet offend in one point is guilty of all. That little word translated offend is the same word translated fall over here in Second Peter. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet fall in one point or fail. So you get the idea. Offending, falling, failing, erring in one point, he's guilty of all. And Peter's encouragement, his exhortation to us is that adding these things to our faith will keep us from having that guilt hung over us of failing and falling. Over in Jude, in verse 24, and this is where we'll quit. In Jude, verse 24, He says, now, and this is this doxology. Here's his wrap-up to his letter that he's written. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Well, doesn't it make you wonder that if, if you did fall? And by the way, that verse doesn't guarantee that you won't. Now unto him that is able... To keep you from falling. Oh yeah, God is able. But are you going to trust him to do it? Or are we going to choose our own way? 
We choose our own way. We do our own thing. We stumble. We fall. But notice that little word at the end. He is able to present us faultless before the presence of his uh, glory with exceeding joy. Now that tells me if we do stumble and fall, how are we going to expect to be entered into his presence with exceeding joy? But Jude doesn't end on a negative point. He ends on a high positive plane that he is able and he will. But it depends on you and I. Are we exercising our faith? Are we adding to our faith? Are we growing into that maturity? Are we bearing the fruit that Paul talked about over in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit is. Now I know that for you and I, the, the, the tendency is to think, well, man, if I, okay, so I'm just going to make me a list. I'll just, and I'm going to, you know, add to my faith. So I'm going to read 15 minutes every day. I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. I'm going to talk to somebody about Christ every day. I'm going to minister to my neighbors, blah, blah, blah. And we make up a little list. And we think then, see, that if we do those things, and then we've just done what? Fallen back on a legalistic attitude, a legalistic spirit as a means to gaining God's favor. When he says here, we are to bear qualities of character, love, joy, peace, self-control, knowledge. It's a list of a whole different kind than what we normally think of. Okay, let's go go to work on it now. <laughs> okay, we quit. Go to work on it. Hey, this is hard work, isn't it? Is it easy living the Christian life? It's hard work. But God is able. And that's Peter's point. That's Paul's point. That's Jude's point. God will do it if we will just exercise and add to our faith. Let's pray. Father, help us to be believers and Christians that are full of faith, desirous of growing in our knowledge of Christ and producing those fruits or as You tell us there in Galatians, fruit of the Spirit, that we would be Christians who are full of joy and gladness because we live each day in obedience to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.